something significant happened that changed the world as we know it. No, it wasn't the end of World War II, although that did change the world. It wasn't the invention of the KitchenAid mixer. Um, although some of you are really excited about your KitchenAid mixers, I gotta be honest. It wasn't Andy Griffith and the Andy Griffith Show. It's a little thing called distortion. In the 1940s and 50s, prior to that, people played guitars. I'm a guitar player. They played acoustic guitars and played electric guitars. And before that, distortion was a bad thing. If you had distortion on a microphone on the radio, it made it hard to hear. It was like, you know, that, that sound of like, man, they're, they're screaming into a microphone and it's too loud and you can't really quite hear it. And what distortion does is it actually takes this beautiful sound wave and it makes it look something like this. So you can imagine the sound of a, of a voice and then the sound of a voice being distorted, right? But when in the 40s and 50s people began to experiment with using guitars and guitar amps and plugging them in and turning came a beautiful thing, right? I mean, one of the first people to experiment with that was a guy who played for Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. <laughs> There's your home, handsome, homely young men right there. This was a, a clip from Junior Bernard's song, Bernard Blues. Listen to this. There it is. The beginnings of distortion. You can go ahead and bring that down. And then there was a guy named Jackie Brinston who allegedly stuffed the back of his broken amp with wads of paper, of newspaper, in order to get his speakers to stay in. And he created what was has been known as the first rock and roll recording. Check this out, this is Rocket 88. And then of course in 1958, we have this track from Mr. Chuck Berry. Anybody take a to the future playing in your head, right? <laughs> and then there's this riff. This, uh, people started to, instead of just overdriving the electrical systems, they started to s manipulate their amps in certain ways. And these guys, uh, it was a man named Dave Davies from the Kinks. He actually slashed his guitar speakers to get this iconic riff sound. <laughs> You really got me now. Anybody? Huh? Girl, you really got me going. There it is. Thanks, Dave. Uh, and then from a, an obscure place came really the modern transition of people were tearing up too many amps. They're like, how can we create a distorted sound without destroying our amps, our amplifiers? And actually, it came from a country singer named Marty Robbins. Down in the West Texas town of El Paso. Anybody? I fell in love with a Mexican girl. <laughs> Wasn't on that song. It was on a song of his. 
named Don't Worry. And there was this problem with the bass player. He had plugged into a channel in the soundboard and the channel was bad. And so he had this bass solo that sounded very distorted. But then the guy who was the engineer, his name was Glenn T. Snotty. And Glenn T. Snotty opened up the soundboard and said, this is such an amazing sound. I'm going to figure out what is wrong here. So what he did was he found out what was wrong. And then he recreated that in what was called a stomp box pedal. It had one button on it and you plugged your guitar into it. And when you stomped it, it created distortion. No more slashing of amps or breaking them or throwing them off of cars to try to get them to sound right. Now, distortion was at the fingertips of those and it really didn't take off very much. There were kind of mediocre sales of this pedal until one, while not really well-known guitar player, but he played for a band called the Rolling Stones and he used his fuzz box to create this track. That was 1965. Anybody hear that for the first time, actually, with your ears on the radio? You did? All right. Amazing. We're all just living vicariously through you. Satisfaction. And there were many adaptations of that fuzz box. One of them was called a fuzz face, and it was picked up and made popular by a young man named Jimi Hendrix, and it was introduced on this track here called... Called... Come on, somebody. What's it? Purple Haze. And of course, then you... There are thousands and thousands upon thousands of innovations from that point on. And you're probably saying to me, like, how can you talk about distortion without playing something from Jimmy Page or The Edge? It's like, listen, we could go on and on forever. Of course, there is this one gem from 1980. It's, uh... Anybody remember this song? Your mama didn't let you listen to it? It's terrible. And to redeem ourselves, though, because, because Christians are always a little bit behind the curve, which is not such a bad thing, okay? Uh, it wasn't until 1984 that we had this last track right here. Some of you rock this out with your cross and your long hair. Can anybody name the song? Anybody? It's um, actually lovingly called what? To hell with the devil. <laughs> I'm really trying to make you comfortable in here today. If you're, uh, <laughs> if you're feeling uncomfortable, well then, uh, mission accomplished, okay? But distortion is something wonderful, depending upon your taste, in music. Distortion is often a part of our lives but it, not just from the radio. The history of distortion for you and me is not just related to our favorite bands when we grew up. The history of distortion for you and I has to do with our father. And I wanna ask you one question today. 
And that was a fun little exercise. Hopefully you had fun. Hopefully, please send emails to Pastor Aaron. He's not going to check them anyway. He's on sabbatical, so <laughs> feel free. Write a treatise, whatever you want to do. Just make sure you call it to hell with the devil when it comes to the subject line, okay? But the one question today for you and for me, really all our lives, is what is the history of distortion in your life? Where did the truth about God and about who he is as your father become distorted? Where did you begin to see the Father in distorted ways? When did you begin to see yourself differently, distorted from the way that God has seen and defined and made you? Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9 says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This is Paul speaking to the Galatians. He had not been away from them for very long at this time. So he had come to the area of Galatia, preached the gospel, and people had received Christ, and he had begun this church, and then he left. And in the short time between the time that he left and the time that he came, there were teachers who came and began to teach the people about a gospel from a very Jewish perspective, saying, you have to do this, 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 and this. Oh, but wait, if you're not circumcised or if you don't observe this Jewish custom, well, then you really can't be saved and the power of Jesus is not, not on your life. So this is the real gospel that's attached with all these things. And Paul hearing about this is just angered and you can hear it and, and he's just I can't believe I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel not that there is another one <laughs> but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one received, let him be accursed. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, was being distorted in the hearts of the people. And what it was doing was taking away the peace of Christ and laying upon them a burden that the gospel never actually required of them. And for you and me, we walk through life and we get hit. And we walk away and our vision is blurred. We look upon things differently and things are a little more distorted than they used to be and we can't quite recapture the, the simplicity and the beauty of what we had before. Here are a few observations about actual three points. This is probably your best shot at it. <laughs> Distortion is loud, so we have to find quiet places. 
if you want to recapture what life was, what your vision of the Lord was, what your relationship with the Father was before the distortion, sometimes we have to find quiet places. It's in those places where the clearness of God's love for us comes through. Number two, distortion sustains. So we have to find a kill switch. Don't the lies and the false gospels sound really good? And don't they just ring true in your mind over and over? Aren't they just the voices that just don't quit? We gotta find that kill switch for those voices. We gotta be able to come to the Lord and hear his word. And the best one I found is his word. (laughs) To read scripture, to hear it from God himself, to read the red letters and hear the words of Jesus and to hear him say, come to me. To hear him say, come to me as a little child. What is he saying in that moment? He's saying, come to me without distortion. Remember me in those moments in the fields where you ran with me and there was no distortion. You were clear about who I was and who you were. The third is that distortion covers up the mess. So we have to stop pretending. There's a little joke. It's not quite as good as Pastor Greg's dad jokes, but... It's a little kind of a joke that if you can't really play, a, play something, you just turn up the distortion as a guitar player, right? If you turn up the distortion, nobody hears your mistakes, right? This is a really deceptive place to be because when distortion is loud and it sustains, what it does is it covers up the real mess. The distortion of our knowledge and understanding and our, our experience with the Father And these things that create that distortion, when we experience them, it creates the mess, but sometimes we get comfortable with the distortion. Why? Because it kind of hides it a little bit, doesn't it? The cleanness of this doesn't, there's no, there's no hiding. But in this, you can stuff a few things in here and there. You can stuff a few lies, a few sins in here, and nobody will notice. We just turn up the distortion, and it's, right? So what is the history of distortion in your life? In order to find that out, you have to go back to the places where the distortion began. Go back And as hard as it is, you've got to revisit the traumatic events of your past, your childhood, your young adulthood, your first marriage, the loss of a parent or a child or a brother or a sister. Those times and moments of abuse. When everything was thrown off and your world was completely turned upside down and all the things you thought were true now somehow seem untrue because if this were true, then that couldn't happen in the world that I knew, but somehow, how does this work? When someone takes advantage of me, someone sexually molests you, 
It changes, it creates distortion in your mind and your heart and you, you're just reeling and you're trying to figure out how to get your feet back on the ground and you'll do whatever you can, even if it means that you have to accept a truth that is not true. Some of you, it started very early. You had negative church experiences and people preached to you a, a gospel that was distorted, a gospel that was about works and about what you did. And if you didn't do it, you're going to hell tomorrow. And if you did right today, you're going to heaven today. But if you do right wrong tomorrow, you're going to hell tomorrow. And it's this constant back and forth. And you look at God as this great uh, ogre up in heaven with this lightning rod ready to just watch you fail at any moment. And there is no love in that God. And yet you have walked and lived with that distorted truth about God. Unhealthy relationships deathly words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, the Proverbs tells us. And yet there are words that are reverberating in your heart and in mine that are creating massive amounts of distortion in your heart. And you can't even make a clear decision because the distortion is so loud. It's been ringing out for so long that you've actually received it as the real thing. And here's the tough part is that sometimes the distortion gets turned up gradually over time, doesn't it? And then you're 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road and you don't even realize how loud and how broken and how far from the truth you have come. And this is not to condemn you what I want to try and attempt to do is to set you free today. I want the Lord's truth in you, a restoration of that clear tone of who God is to be restored in your heart today. So who is the Father? What is a true portrait of your God? If you call yourself a Christ follower, if you believe in the authority of scripture, those things are also uh, come hand in hand. <laughs> I'm not sure you can call yourself a Christ. No, I know you can't call yourself a Christ follower if you don't believe in the authority of scripture. Those two things. The word tells us that the father loves his children. Hear this today. This is the distortion stomp box clicked off in your life. And I'm speaking to you sans distortion this morning. No distorted gospel today for you. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. Maybe I just need to keep saying that for the next like 10 minutes, right? Maybe you need to meditate upon that this afternoon. You need to just sit by yourself in a quiet place and for 10 minutes you just need to say, the Father loves me. The Father loves me.
the truth of that one thing will break you, will break the distortion of your heart. Brendan Manning says, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. Every other identity in our context today is distortion. You are beloved by God. John 1.12 says that God gave us the power to become children of God. He gave us he, the Father, gave us the power, us the power to become his children. He loves you. Who is the Father? The Father acts according to his standards. There's a scripture that says, as the heavens are above the earth, Lord, so are your thoughts higher than mine and your ways higher than mine. Sometimes we don't understand what God is doing in a moment and it feels like distortion, but if we will trust that the Lord's acting according to his standards and not ours, we will find that there is clarity there. He has an unchanging standard, meaning he's not like a father I've been guilty of this and many of you have too. He's not like a father who holds the standards in secret and expects you to measure up to them. And the only time he'll really tell you anything is when you get it wrong. So I've got the rule book and I'm gonna hide it away and I'm gonna lock it in my safe. And whenever you disobey the rules that are secret to you, unknown to you, I'll let you know. And I'll let you know that by yelling at you. I'll let you know that by punishing you. I'll let you know that by abusing you physically or with words. Don't worry. I'll make sure that you know when you get it wrong. If you had a father like that, there is likely distortion in the way that you view your heavenly father. There is likely a distortion in your relationship with him. And it's probable that you struggle with seeing God as the one who has the rule book locked away and he'll let you know through pain, through suffering, through taking good things from you, through keeping you out of the loop. God will let you know when you've crossed the line, when you've done it wrong. Is that the Father? Is that truly the Father? You have to ask yourself that. You have to identify the distortion and click it off in the moments when it comes and say, you know what? That's not my Father. Because my Father loves me. And my Father's standards do not change. And my father tells me what I need and what I don't need. And he shows me how to walk with him. My father sent his son so that I can see what pleases him. My father has been very straightforward with me. 
about how much he adores me. The Father, who is the Father? The Father is filled with joy. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You've heard it a hundred times. And just recently I described this during a worship service, but I wanted to revisit it here with you. And it was just came to my mind and heart that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Uh, most times we look at that as the joy inside of me is the, the joy that comes from following God and obeying the Lord is my strength, right? Does that feel right? I think that is a correct interpretation of that scripture. But what if the strength that God has for you is his joy? What if when you wake up in the morning and you roll out of bed and you take your first few steps and you go about your day, what if God looks upon you and joy fills his heart? What if you are a joy to your father? How strong do you feel? How much strength can you draw from knowing that you are the delight and the joy of your father's heart? And how much weight do you carry when you feel the weight of your father, a heavenly father's glare upon you? his eyebrow raised, his anger churning. That is a distortion of the gospel of Jesus. That is a distortion of the character of the Father. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because how we define who God is determines the decisions that we make in response to him. Does it not? How can we live and walk in freedom and live under the weight of an overbearing, overpowering God? Oh, but how could we not walk in freedom when we live under the cloudless sky of a father's heart who's filled with the joy of his love for you? and me. Click it off, guys. This is the truth of God for you today. No more distortion. The last thing, who is the Father? Now, there's plenty more things. I'm just listing just a few here. Who is the Father? The Father loves his children. Who is he? The Father acts according to his standards. Who is he? The father is filled with joy. Who is the father? The father does not want a performance from you. The father does not seek control. Our love for him is unforced. And this, guys, is where I have been personally looking into my own life and my own history of distortion. And I realized that through various things in my life, I've become very good at performing. I'm a really good performer. I'm, a re I'm really good at people pleasing. I'm just 
like genius level <laughs> at knowing how to work people to make them happy. And here's the problem is that I thought for all of my life, most of my life, my distorted life, that I was good enough to fool even God. And I thought that to please the Lord, that if I just checked off enough boxes, if I just followed the rules enough, if I did the perfect practices, and I, I was good enough, that that would make me acceptable before the Lord. But you know what that is, guys? It's nothing more than sin. Walking in relationship with the Lord and pretending is not a relationship because God is not looking for your performance. His love is not based upon your perfect actions. And you know, all that was for me was just hiding. Hiding pain. Running from the distortion in those places of trauma that you're like, I just can't look at that. So I'm gonna turn around here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna act really good so that nobody has any reason to say that I'm lazy or that I'm not worth it or that I didn't make the right choices or I was unwise or that I didn't do, nobody can say that. So I'm gonna prove to you by acting perfectly And all that did was draw me farther away from the Lord. Because it was a desire of mine. My deep soul desire was to be near to the Lord. And yet these things that I was doing in my performance before the Lord were drawing me away from him. But here's the whole paradox. And a paradox is when there's two things that are true that can't be true together, but somehow they are is that when I stopped running and I turned to look at those places where the history of distortion began in my life, those were the doorways to intimacy with the Lord. Those things that I ran from and I was so afraid of and I just, I didn't know how to deal with I didn't want to. I just wanted to pretend that it didn't happen. Anybody been there? Here's a truth for you today that I've learned. Nobody can say it didn't affect me. None of us can say that these, that these moments, these places where distortion entered our lives, none of us can say, well, it just it didn't affect me. I rose above it. That's just a lie. That itself is a distortion. Until we come to the place that we can look in the face the ugliness of the sin and the offense that was done against us and the ugliness of our own sin, we can't see the depth of the love of the Father. There's a, a friend of mine. Uh, he's a therapist that I've, I've seen, and he said... He said, you can only forgive someone 
to the depth at which you understand their offense toward you. So if you continue to dismiss and say, oh, I've forgiven them, and not look it in the eyes and see it for all its nastiness and all its deception and perversion and and selfishness and self-centeredness and all of the depth and the grossness of it, if you can't look it in the eyes and turn around, then your forgiveness is this deep. But if you can look it in the eyes and you can weep over it, and your heart be broken over it, and you can say these words, I forgive you. That, my friends, is a very different thing. And that is exactly what God does for you and for me. There is no one that knows the depth of your sin. There is no one that knows the deception that you're living in. There is no one that knows the truth about the distortion in your life better than God does. And yet he turns and he looks upon you and he says, I forgive you. God's forgiveness is is not empty for you. God knows the deception of your heart. No more pretending because there's nothing to pretend. He knows it already. You're just play acting. Why? He already knows. He already sees the depth of your sin, but he, he hung on a cross and he bled and died because he loves you. And he said, I forgive you. I know, I know it all. I know every moment, every single little bit, but I love you. No distortion there. No false gospel. This is the truth of Christ for you today. Hear these words. The parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. The son takes his inheritance and goes away and spoils it on women and wine. He finds himself broken, broke, and he goes and he's so hungry, he even thinks about eating their slop. But hear this, listen to the distortion fading and clarity coming. But when he came to himself, What was happening here? He was clicking off that distortion pedal. His suffering was causing him to click that distortion pedal off. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father 
said to his servants, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Today is your day to stop living with distortion. Today is your day to stop walking around lost and be found by the Father. To be found in the truth of who the Father is, that he loves you. That he's filled with joy over you. And that he does not want a performance from you. He wants a relationship with you. And here's the last question I'll ask. And this is from Brendan Manning. It's a book called Abba's Child. It's one that's been tearing me up lately. <laughs> but he asked this question, and I ask it of you today. Do you honestly believe that God likes you? Not just loves you because theologically God has to love you. Do you honestly believe that God likes you? If you will receive that, that's the beginning of the end of distortion in your life. Check, there it is. So I wanna play a song for you and we're gonna do a corporate communion this morning. So I'm gonna play this song as those are our ushers are passing out communion, and then we're going to just come before the Lord and surrender our hearts to him. my sin that held him there 
until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. stand here. We sit here. What do you have in your hands? It's, uh, it's like an anti-distortion device. The clarity of the moment that Jesus sits with his disciples and he says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the blood of my new. So as often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Why does Jesus call us to remembrance? Because it's that moment on a regular basis. For us, it's every weekend that we get to say, you know what? clicking off of the distortion and I'm going to remember what started this whole thing and that was a gift of love not because I deserved it or earned it or performed really well for it but it was a gift that paid off a debt that I could not pay and all I can do is just receive it all I can do is take this cup with gratefulness and with dumbfounded wonder that God would love me. <laughs> 